Revolting is produced by the Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. is revolting with steve-o and robot on the cycling independent episode 37 bike shops before we get started we're obligated to tell you that this podcast contemplates both mature and immature themes if you don't like the words we use or the ideas that we bring up which you likely won't uh this isn't the podcast for you so you know, change the channel and come back when we're discussing what? Something nice. I don't Potting know. Potting soil. Potting soil. Potting soil and hang gliders. That's the <laughs> next idea. Oh, uh, one of the changes I want to make is that my laugh, I laugh at you a lot and I have this terrible, like, um, bur- like wheezy laugh. <laughs> and because of the way the sound gets edited, it only kicks in. Like you don't hear any lead in. So it's just like me going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. So before we, (laughs) before we started recording, we were discussing the episode that was published yesterday, which was, I guess, uh, 24. 24. I was not at all happy with it. Not at all. Like if I had my way, I would just throw the whole thing in the garbage can and we could start over. And I don't know what it was. I mean, there was some editing issues. Um, but it was just, it just was the one that I didn't want. I didn't want to, I didn't like it. I didn't want to listen to it. It made kind of made my skin crawl. So, um, we're obviously, <laughs> we obviously haven't figured our process out yet. Well, we're on different pages. Cause I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. And like, <laughs> if Steve likes it, I won't. And if, if, uh, I like it, he's like, Oh, it was gold. Well, I and, do, uh, I do want to be uh, co- cognizant present i want to be aware of my vocabulation and it was like every other word was a bad word and i'm you know like i'm better than that i i think i was just i was tired no (laughs) (laughs) i was tired and i think i was a little frustrated i talked to mickey vukovic last night on the phone about some other stuff he just got done with the belgian waffle ride Tell, tell everyone who Mickey is. Oh, he, Mickey. he has contributed to TCI before, but tell people who he is in the he, larger picture. He is, it's, uh, I mean, I knew of him as a photographer for Transworld Skateboarding uh, for years. And at some point he got into bikes and then we crossed paths <laughs> through the bike world and um, have become friends. But he's a, he's a, he's a great guy. He works uh, closely with Tony Hawk and his foundation and setting aside monies for education and, uh, skate, uh, skate park development and all, I mean, the guy's pretty multifaceted, but he's just a, he's an interesting character. Um, and, and a writer. Yeah. And he has contributed to the cycling independent, which has been pretty fun to see, you know, he is, he's, uh, he's become such a bike nerd these last, I don't know, 15 years or something. And so when we're together, all I want is to hear skateboard stories and all he wants to hear is bike stories. And I'm dreadfully bored of bike stuff <laughs> and he's dreadfully bored of skateboard stuff. So it's the, the ping pong of converse or the ping pong game of, or the volley rather of conversation is, is kind of funny. Mm. Uh, Anyway, what we were talking about last night was why? What? Jesus. You were talking to Mickey last night about about the Tony Hawk documentary, well, among other things. Well, see, now I describe now I explained who he was and and I forgot why I brought him up to begin with. Well, and that's <laughs> this is for, this is good because actually podcast. some of my friends have given me the feedback that you and I talk about uh, skaters or music musicians and they'll enjoy the podcast but they're like we have no idea who you're talking about so right. i made a note i was like we're gonna have to explain who 
all the names that we drop. That's good. I'm glad that I'm glad we were able to describe Mickey and, and who <laughs> he is to us. Uh, but now I don't remember why I brought him up to begin with. You were talking to him last night about something. I did. And we were talking about the Tony Hawk. Because you and I have been talking about the Tony Hawk documentary, which is by the time this comes out, will be several months old. But I don't know. Yeah, that's not why I called him. Um, Oh, brother. Well, it was good. It was a good effort. I don't know. It'll come. Maybe it'll come to me. Yeah, we'll get to it in part seven. Um, uh, maybe we're, uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Well, well, I'll listen to this whenever it's published <laughs> and we'll cert- and I'll hear why, what's something that you said that reminded me why I brought Mickey up to begin with. And then I will. And then it, so in like uh 12 podcasts, I will bring up why I brought Mickey up to begin with. Okay. There's this whole meta section we've been doing at the end, beginning of every podcast where we critique a podcast that actually came out months ago and then plant seeds for podcasts that are going to come out probably next year by the time we get to them. It's like a this is it's as, as if we have a time machine and we have no idea how to use it. <laughs> oh, boy. It's what is the the thermals? There's a lyric or there's a line in a thermal song that said, uh, it's how did I get this far with a head so empty or something yeah. like that? Like every yeah. time, every time I engage and, and, uh, and actively have an active exchange with my own processes, my own, uh, uh, neurodivergence or whatever. I'm just like, I'm astounded. That I can even finish a conversation with anybody. And I've listened to a lot of podcasts and we'll begin on something. And I remember specifically, exactly. (laughs) Though, man, that was the point I was going to make right there. So (laughs) we need to write them all down and then we'll do like for podcast 50. We'll go back through each (laughs) preceding episode and update with Stevel's notes. Yeah, which will make no sense to anybody, but it will satisfy my uh the little voice in the back of my head that doesn't feel like I'm finishing anything properly. This this reminds me of the, there's a comedian Nate Bargatze uh, who is quite popular now uh, uh, who had tells this joke about how if he went back he's du- his premise is that he's a dumb he's basically dumb and he said if if they put me in a time machine and sent me back to like 1940 uh, and he said hey I'm from the future he actually wouldn't be able to prove it. Because he'd be like, oh, we have now we have these communication devices and everyone just carries it around as a camera and a telephone in your pocket. And they'd be like, oh, really? How does that work? And he'd be like, oh, yeah. Um, and then they'd be like, OK, OK, well, who's the next president? And and he'd be like, ooh, uh, have, you, have we had Lincoln already? Have we had Lincoln yet? You're going to like him. That's that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And it's completely relatable. Yeah. Uh, well, at some point we're going to, something's going to happen in today's conversation and I'm going to remember why I just brought Mickey up and it's going to be, it's going to be so satisfying, maybe not for anybody else, but it's going to be super satisfying <laughs> for me. And so why we're meeting with each other today, the thing that we are bringing up is bike shops. Bike shops. Yeah. This episode about <clears throat> bike shops, what we like, what we don't like. It, this is basically if you're out there, this is basically a recipe for success for small business people everywhere and a love letter. Which is a thing we talk about a lot, the love letters to skateboarding, but this is a love letter to the hilarious dirtbags who make the bike industry go. Sort yes, uh, I hope I hope that's the plane we're going to. We're going to take off in. Yeah. And keep, if you can keep me on task, you need that's your job. It's just yeah, help okay. me remember the points that I'm trying to make. So we're going to do music picks right now. Mm. And then. Oh, shit. I know. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> OK. OK. We're going yeah, to do, do music picks right now. We're you, gonna do music you go. picks right now. And then we're going to really follow our format for once. We're going to do question one. We're going to read it. We're not just going to answer it. We're going to read question two and then we'll get to the would you rather. So music pick of the week. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, 
I'll okay. I'll go. I'll go first. And it's a real short one because I just got the record. Um, there's a band. Oh, I think I talked about this last week. Uh, fake names. You did. Fake uh, yeah, names Brian was your Baker pick last and, week. Yeah. So, but I I got the record and I've actually been listening to it and and that's been that's been one and uh what's uh I got I got nothing. I'm just kind of <laughs> revisiting like you know old stuff, same stuff. Yeah. I'm kind of wearing out the the play button on my iPod because I'm just kind of going to the same things and listening to the same stuff. I don't have any new music. I'm going to have to send you some new stuff. I'm sorry. So, oh, it's okay. So I have uh I have I'm actually going to say two the names of two bands this week um because one of them is Beach Rats uh mm. which is the band so fake names who Steve picked both last week and this week <laughs> <laughs> uh uh is is involves Brian Baker who is in Minor Threat Bad Religion and like a million other important bands so he's in a band he's in fake names but he's also in a band called Beach Rats which is a bunch of like hardcore veteran guys who another, all happen another super another super group another super group and <clears throat> these are all guys that live in Asbury Park New Jersey they all live at the beach so they call themselves Beach Rats it's kind of like if you like old school, I've been in a little bit of a hardcore phase. I don't listen to hardcore all the time, but I really like it. And I have these little spasms where I listen to a bunch of hardcore. So Beach Rats, which is pretty new. They put out their first thing, I think, in 2018. Uh, but it's all really good, really fun. Uh, you know, hardcore can take itself very seriously. This doesn't. It's pretty. But their, their LP isn't out yet. Right. They've been putting out singles. So, yeah, OK, yeah, they've got I don't know how many tracks they have out. I just it just wraps around on me and I listen to it over and over again. But another band that I actually discovered uh, only recently who came and went like this happens to me all the time is a band called Career Suicide. Which uh, is also a hardcore band, also kind of old school hardcore and it is made of two of the guys from the band fucked up who are wow. fantastic and have I made... haven't thought of them in forever. Yeah. Fucked up is really good. They've evolved quite a bit. Uh, I'm not sure I actually like where they are now, but, um, but you know, that good for them for evolving. I full respect, but fucked up is a fantastic band. But so two of the guys went aside and were like, we want to make a hardcore, hardcore band. So they made, uh, career suicide and it sounds really good to me okay uh <clears throat> yeah i get into s sort of similarly well not similarly but i get into ruts where i dig through new stuff and i find i just actually my friend craig told me about beach rats and then i did a little bit of investigation learned that their lp is forthcoming so I ordered a copy and I, I mean, I'd been, I don't even think until he brought it up, I knew that it was a thing, but in the meantime, you know, like I just sort of dig into the stuff that I have been listening to. I just did, I did get, what is it? Signature wood design or something. It's this little wood shop in Ohio. And I just got two new record storage containers. Um, and because when I moved here, I packed all of my records into the one that I had and, the, and it was, everything was so jammed in there. I couldn't actually access anything. So now I have a little bit of space and I can kind of revisit some, or have like, you know, find new, um, new old stuff, like mm -hmm. things that I bought and maybe listened to a couple of times, but I can kind of revisit some of my collection. Mostly I've not, not been listening to any music, but I've been organizing what I have, which is also important, you know, it is, it is. I mean, you don't want uh, a record just cause it's 10 or 15 years old, not to get played anymore. I know so much good stuff. In fact, that career suicide, uh, record that came out, I think was 2007 or 2008. And I missed it entirely at the time. I don't know what happened there, but, uh, well, you still can't, worth hearing. You can't, you can't listen to everything, you know, like you can only, you go to the record store, you buy 10 records and you listen to them and maybe they don't immediately grab you. So you put it away and I'll get to this later. And, and then 10 years goes by and you never got to it again. 
Right. Uh, so that that's kind of what I'm trying to do now is is to refresh my memory on what I actually have in my collection. And it just, becomes a hmm? you just been hiding Easter eggs for yourself. Sort of. Yeah, that's a that's a fun way of looking at it. Uh I'm just I get a little I get a little I have these like bouts of com- explosive compulsiveness and I buy all of the stuff and then I don't even know that I bought it. So kind of, yeah, hiding East. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, so today we're talking about bike shops and, uh, I mean, anybody, everybody has to, at some point, uh, go into a bike shop and, and sometimes they're sterile and they look like every other bike shop, which I don't like. Or you get uh, talked down to, um, you know, a lot yeah. of women have expressed uh, gripes about, you know, being mansplained or being ignored, <clears throat> which I've seen uh, firsthand and also experienced. Um, I, went, I, went, I was on a ride and I was in Marin uh, a few years ago and I had this. Um, kind of fancy pants wheel set and one of the spokes broke and you needed a, it's a proprietary, proprietary nipple on this wheel set. And so you needed this specific wrench and it wasn't like so unique that any big bike shop likely wouldn't have one. And I went in and talked to the quote wheel maestro and asked, I said, I don't want to borrow a tool, you know, but could like, I'm in the middle of a ride. Is there any way? Uh, we throw a new spoke in and, and then the guy came down on me about like not riding with the spoke wrench. He was, you know, maybe you should what? carry tools on your ride. I know. And I was just what? like, dude, I'm not. Oh, okay. And you know, I... and later on I found a shop next door and they, they had a spoke wrench and they were, were able to help me out, but it was just preposterous. You know, I'm, I'm just going to say this, this is, I'm going to be reverse ageist for a minute. If you work in a bike shop and you're under the age of 30, I don't care how hard you've been working. You don't know a fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Just just be cool, man. <laughs> just be cool. Don't well, don't act like you know shit because you don't know shit. You haven't been alive a, and working long enough to know things. So just chill the fuck out. There's a there's an article that came out in the bicycle retailer a few years ago. I don't remember the guy's name. I don't remember, Of course, I don't remember anything about it in. All I know is all I know is that it exists (laughs) and I know that I read it, but (laughs) (laughs) but the point was that, that parts, uh, it isn't, that's not the moneymaker, uh, service is the moneymaker and with service, you can build community. Uh, you know, if you know the mechanics and you can, you can visit the shop and know the person, I love this one person to work on my bike and, uh, you know, that's, that's worth that's worth tons. And, and I should clarify that I've never owned a bike shop. I've managed the service department in bike shops, but I've never owned one. So I don't know all of the nightmare involved in keeping staff and, and managing personalities and, and all of that stuff. But I do know that having worked in shops, it's, it's priceless to have, a community and and people who are committed to coming in to see you because you treat them fairly and you do the best possible work on their bike because ultimately they can buy parts anywhere but they can't right. get that experience the, another thing that i'd like i want to throw in here um and then we're going to ask question we're going to say what question one is and we're going to talk about it because we're going to keep on the flight path but um What was I going to say? I now I've done it. <laughs> oh, what I was going to say is that um, I've hear, heard a lot of bike people complain about idiots and people who don't know what they're doing. And, you know, uh, what I would say to you is who who the who do you think is keeping your lights on? <clears throat> if 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 you only worked with people who already know everything about bikes and how to work on bikes, they wouldn't need a store. You wouldn't have a place to work. Yeah. So 
I know it's great to get all nerdy about like the new GRX, you know, how you set up the derailleur and all that stuff. But the people who are like, I don't know how to inflate my tire. Those are the people who are paying your rent. Yeah. Yeah. Without them, there's no need for you. You're pointless without them. I used to I used to live with this guy. I know I brought up Mark Dickerson before. He was a mechanic at Turin in Denver. And he and I lived together for a while. And he's a he's an amazing bike rider. He's an amazing personality. And he was an amazing he is an amazing mechanic. Like he's just a he's a brilliant human. And now he works for like Lockheed Martin Martin building rockets or something. You know, like he's just he's just that's just kind of how his brain works. But I used to really love watching him operate in shops and also how he would teach me stuff. He was sincerely excited about not uh, showing you how smart he was, but he was sincerely excited about um, sharing even the most banal snippets of knowledge, you know, and, 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 and it was infectious, you know, like this is something that I would do in the shops that I worked at. In fact, one time um, a woman came up to me at a grocery store and this is a couple of years after I stopped working in, in this one shop. And she said, did you used to work at such and such a shop? Uh, and I said, yeah, kind of like, Oh God, what, what did I do? <laughs> um, and she said, I came in with a flat tire one time and you invite, you asked me if I wanted to come back and watch how you would fix a flat. Now, we weren't fixing flats in, um, you know, uh, for customers because you can't guarantee the work. I mean, you, you'd put it in a new tube, obviously you pull the nail or whatever out of the tire, but I wasn't going to patch a tube for a customer, but I showed her how to pull a tube out, how to patch it because ultimately I thought that that was going to make her more self, uh, sustained, uh, or self-reliant bike rider. So if you're if you're on a ride out in away from a bike shop and you get a flat, you can deal with it like it's a small thing. It's going to take five minutes out of my day. And she said that was a total game changer for her. And then she bought me a six pack of beer, which I thought was really nice. But I was sort of channeling Mark Dickerson and like, oh, I would love. And and I suppose it it all is dependent on how it um, is. uh presented to the individual in question, but I was thrilled to show her how to do this if she would be open to it. And she was, and it made her, it made her a a more secure bike rider. And I love that, you know, like it was such a simple thing. And I, even my manager at the shop was like, he was kind of griping about it. Like what, you know, if you, if you teach her how to fix her flat, she's not going to come in and get flats fixed anymore. But what it did was made our shop her go-to. Yeah, you became trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the whole thing. I, I would say to if if there are bike mechanics out there listening, if you are being becoming a bike mechanic and honing your mechanic skills in order to prove your expertise and inflate your ego and get be the, like the get it, get out the of here. top nerd. Stop. Get the fuck out. Go try to work on the pro tour where that shit matters. Um, If you're working in a bike shop, you're there to help people. You're there to help people. You're there to help people. I'm saying it over and over again because that's your job is to help people. And Mm -hmm. if you hate them and you treat them badly, you're not helping them. The whole like grumpy, you know, surly, surly mechanic thing, you know, that's sort of cliche and it's sort of funny. And it's under, I mean, you know, it's understandable. I, I've been there. Uh, mm. for a long time in, in varying degrees in working on the Norba circuit and, you know, uh, wrenching on professional bike riders, bicycles all the way down to this homeless guy brought in his bike and he had a wasp, a wasp nest on his front hub. You know, like I've worked on everything from the top yeah. to the bottom and back again. Um, and I don't know. I know less now for sure. Like there's, there's, there's so much more information and 
there's boost and there's you know it's, it's an expanding universe you can I, never i don't know it. anything anymore but when i did know stuff um i was excited to, to share whatever information i had and i always 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 knew that there was somebody who knew far more than i did mm. and i was open to learning and i was open to teaching and that was the only thing that made my job tolerable you know at 15 dollars an hour or whatever is exhausting well, let's let's ask question one which is tell me about your experience working in bike shops and what are your favorite which shops in the world that you've encountered are your favorite shops uh so your well, experience working i, in bike I shops. got hired on years ago uh to just build bikes for some bike shop got a contract with a like a winery and they bought you know 150 sort of mid-range mountain bikes for their um, customers or to give away to their the employees or something. I don't even remember what the deal was. So I started building. Um, and then from there, I guess I eventually got a job in a shop. And then I got another job in another shop. And then I got another job in another shop. And then <laughs> I got a service manager role. And... Yeah, just uh, going from one job to the next job to the next job. And, and I, at one point, I think I worked in all of the bike shops in Berkeley. Um, some I was just, you know, behind the scenes. Uh, some I was managing. And it was, you know, like most jobs, I suppose it was fun until it wasn't. And we got to listen to whatever kind of music we wanted to. And we got to be, you know, the face, kind of the face of the shop. And like I said, teach people how to fix flats or, um, but, but that was, oh, one thing, <laughs> one thing that I did encourage the people who worked for me to do is that anytime you would solve a problem, whether it's, uh, you know, like a shifter cable gets wrapped around the ratcheting mechanism and it's just this real quagmire that you're involved in. If you fix the thing and you solve the problem, you are required to yell as loud as you can that you're the best mechanic in the world. <laughs> that, that was the only thing I required of the people who worked in the shop. Nice. Uh, so it was fun. You know, it was fun. And it, it taught me how to be a better or a more patient person, I think. I don't know. So that was I, I never did sales really to mm -hmm. any degree. Is interacting with the public is not my jam. Um, uh, and what I guess I was saying it's always like, you always have to realize that there's somebody who's a better mechanic than you are, you know, and there's, yeah. I've had the fortune, the good fortune <clears throat> of being friends over the years with people who are, um, you know, what I would consider master mechanics and who can keep all of that Jim Potter at Vecchio's and Boulder uh, Doug Hatfield, who is the syndicate, Santa Cruz syndicate mechanic, and Steve Gravenitis in Marin. Uh, those three are people who they can remember everything and retain everything. And they know the every, the every, I mean, any, any incremental and seemingly insignificant detail about cable lengths or gear inches or anything and it's just astonishing to me that is not me i'm definitely not that mechanic it is a crazy skill set um uh -huh. on the mechanical side of being sort of like having sort of that um photographic memory uh an intense interest in detail there's like a mechanical aptitude and <clears throat> dexterity piece um and you have lot. to be and you have to be socially adept on top of that, to be like, good at it. Yeah. Yes. And so that, and that's, that's the thing that's kind of right brain, left thing, le right brain, left brain thing. Like you can be this, this goofball mad scientist that you can retain all of this stuff and you know, you know, the aptitude, the dexterity, all of that. But that usually doesn't lend to a person with social graces, I guess. And it is a weird balance and mix. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're a super social butterfly and totally engaging, but you, you know, can't figure out how to plug a, a plug into a wall outlet or whatever. Proper mechanics like those three. And there are there, you know, there are plenty others. I'm not saying they're the only ones, but they're the you know, that's a, it's a really unique 
uh, mix of skills. Yeah. So, um, so what are your, what are your favorite shops? Well, that you know of in the world, um, revolting cogs, uh, Watts Dixon's shop in, is in North Carolina. I think I've never been there, but it's just, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun. It's just, it's like his own private clubhouse. And, and he's just an interesting character. And I think that he really tries to do right by the people who come in and come into the shop, regardless of what tax bracket they are in, what have you. Uh, the aforementioned Vecchios in Boulder is a little bit of a museum, but you can always, it's kind of a museum. It's kind of a clubhouse. It's not contrived. It's, you know, you can go in there and, uh, I haven't been to the new location. They moved from the old spot on Pearl street in Boulder, uh, to a new spot on, ah, I just drew a blank on the name of the street where they're located now. Opal or Lotus, or maybe it's the name of a flower. I don't know. Uh, one-on-one in Minneapolis is kind of the same thing. Uh, Gene Oberpriller's shop and it's a bit of a museum and it's, um, you never really know what's going to be going on in there on any given day or, uh, it's just like, it's just like a, it's just a fun place to hang out and watch people and have coffee and listen to stories. Um, uh, there are probably a bunch of others. Uh, American Cyclery in San Francisco is kind of similar. Just a place that you go in and it's just steeped in history. You know, it's not a Trek store where you walk in and it's, you can still smell the plaster drying. Well, this gets to question number two, um, which is what makes a bike shop good and what makes it bad? And I think you and I both agree that the, the captured corporate uh, shops uh, where it's like, oh, you can buy Trex here and you can buy Trex sub brands and you can buy their accessory lines. Same thing with specialized, like, oh, you can buy specialized gloves and you can buy specialized bikes and you yeah. can buy specialized clothing and their shoes. And I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate either of those brands products, which are undoubtedly good, but there's something so fucking boring and uninspiring about walking into that mono, that monolithic shop. And I just walk around and I'm like, wow, there's nothing I want here. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's like further homogenization of America. You know, it's like, you mm. go into you go into an Applebee's in Lexington, Kentucky. It's going to be the exact same Applebee's that you go into in Boise, Idaho. And yeah. maybe that is good for some people because it doesn't challenge your perception. It doesn't challenge your notion or your aesthetics uh, or notion of aesthetics. It doesn't. It's just like this is what I want. I want standardization. I want to know exactly where the pumps are. I want to know exactly which three rain jackets they have. I want it. But to me and the way my brain works, that doesn't, it doesn't work at all for me, but also yeah. you didn't, uh, you didn't answer question one. I didn't. Oh, what are my favorite shops? Yeah. Or, you know, what's your experience working in them? I've never worked in a bike shop. I mean, I've worked in bike shops. I've worked with bike shops, right? right? So I've, I've, had bike shops as my customers uh for a bunch of years and i know mechanics and shop owners and uh i've gotten pretty gone pretty deep on the business side with owners and understanding you know how pre-seasons and i like the whole business of it works um and it feels a little bit like cheating, you know, cause they'll call me and say, what do you think? I'm thinking about changing my business in this way. And I'll give them my opinion based on like having learned from, you know, so many bike shops and so many bike shop owners in different models and different markets. But I do feel kind of like, I mean, you know, that I've never, <laughs> I've never rung up a purchase in a bike shop for someone. And so, you know, take everything I say, everything I say is just, Think of me more like the bucket that other people have thrown information in and you're reaching in the bucket to see if there's something in there, but I'm just a bucket. Okay. Um, my favorite shops. I mean, I've got, uh, I've got so many friends who have these cool little bike studios where you get like a lot of attention. So, 
uh, you know, Cascade Bicycle Studio in Seattle that was run by uh, Zach Dab and uh, and uh, Terry Buchanan, who also run the local cyclocross series. That shop is now owned by my good friend Andrew. Um, in fact, I just bought a bike from him. Um, my friend Tony runs Velosmith, which is on the north side of Chicago up in uh, Wilmette. That's a great little store that really like his dad owned the Alberto's bike shop. His dad is Alberto. And so there's like, you know, when his dad is around, there's like 50 something years of bike shop experience. And they just, you know, they've lived and, and breathed it and they've raced and they've not raced and they've built, you know, Italian bikes and American. Like they just like the two of them have a level of, I don't know, soul and gravitas in the bike business that I really like. Um in terms of, uh, I really like as a shopping, as a person just walking into a bike shop to, to like buy things. I like River City in mm-hmm. uh, Portland, Oregon, because it is a giant shop, yeah. which would normally turn me off. But their shop is packed with cool shit. It's so like I, I go in there for work. I was actually in there uh, two weeks ago and uh, I walked in and I wasn't working at the time. I was just seeing my friends who work there. And uh, I kind of gave him hugs, but like I'm hugging people and like, you know, sort of trying to catch up. But like out of the periphery, I'm like, oh, they've got that jacket that I like that I've never touched. You know, like when I go in River City, I'm like, oh, they have that. Like I've seen that online and it is it is cool. Like they just have all the stuff I want. And then upstairs they have a test, an indoor test track. So if you don't want to like take the bike out in portland or it's raining or whatever they've got like a track with like humps you can ride your mountain bike over if you just want to like figure out if the bike works for you they're just they're just cool and dave getler who owns it is i think a really interesting guy who's doing it differently they've got this crazy series of print ads that they've been running forever that's that's just the coolest most creative thing i just i love any shop I should shout out my buddy Jim, who owns Battle Road Bikes at the bottom of the hill, also uh, here in Massachusetts. And they have a fun little shop, too. And it is. It's like fun people. It's it's a little that one is a great example of a little shop that still has plenty of shit that I want. Um, And it's so any shop where like the people there are smart enough to know, like, oh, this is a cool thing. And that's a cool thing. They're not having like that shows that they're engaged they yeah. are, they are us, you know, it's right, not, exactly. it's not somebody who's like, what is the, you know, going down the list of what the status quo wants or perceives that they need. But this is just, this is, I'm getting this in because it's bitching. Yeah. That's Jim is so good at that. I walk in there and he's like, have you seen this? And it's this thing that he's stoked about yeah. and he's stoked about it. Cause he rides all the time and he loves bikes and he, and I'm like, oh Yeah. That absolutely shows it's not the thing that was in the magazine. It's not the thing that corporate told you you had to move a bunch of units up. It's this thing that he's stoked about for very obvious reasons. Like you get it in your hand and you're like, oh, yeah, or it's like the right color or I mean, I don't even know how to explain it. And I don't want to turn it into like a cool kid thing like they have to have cool kids. But I think if you ride bikes a lot and you think about bikes deeply the stuff that you put in your store is good stuff. And yes. if you think more about like, well, what will humans want to purchase from right. me and try to get in front of it that way? That's what the, that's what the super stores are. And yeah. those, those things it's, and again, there's no community you go in there and it's going to be a different set of salespeople or set of mechanics. I don't have any investment in this place because you, because the place doesn't have any investment in the people who work here. You know, right. And I, I got into it. I right. was at a, I was at a sort of like messenger party in Seattle a bunch of years ago. And this kid came in and we were talking about, uh, he's a mechanic at a shop and, you know, he makes less than, than I would b- deem appropriate for a mechanic. You know, I think mechanics should make a ton of money, but also I think that I would like to see shops investing in the mechanics because you can see you can get wheels built at quality or sugar or whatever. And so you don't have to have a mechanic who knows how to build a wheel. You can send suspension away for to shock treatment programs. 
So you don't have to have mechanics who know how to work on suspension. And it, you know, unfortunately, this is also part of my qualm with the industry is that stuff gets changed quickly enough or consistently enough that you need new tools and need new know-how. And if you have a mechanic who knows how to rebuild head shocks, they don't necessarily know how to build rebuild quad 21s. And if you got somebody who can rebuild quad 21s, you might not necessarily have anybody who knows how to work or service modern suspension, you know? So you're looking at, right. and it's not like quad 21s or Judy's or old Marzocchi's or any of those forks just disappeared when new technology came around (laughs) and it's a whole nother set of tools and it's, you know, shops don't invest, invest in clinics to keep their mechanics up to speed. It's, and it's, I I understand it takes a lot of money to run a shop. What is it? You know, you need to, to, to make a million dollars in the bike industry. You need $10 million. (laughs) Right. It's so to open a shop is really to, and to have that level of service and that level of know-how it takes a huge amount of investment so essentially, like most mechanics you're going to find, I think, or I would assume a lot of mechanics you're going to find, they can do light drivetrain adjustments or flat fixes or whatever. But do you really know how to get into all of the nitty gritty of anything that you would see in that? And you don't. And so this kid's like, well, why don't you open a shop? And I was like, well, for one thing, I'm not fucking stupid. <laughs> and he didn't like he didn't like that answer. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think that that's and I don't have it. I don't have a solution. I just this is just an observation I've made over the years because the, yeah. the shops that I worked in didn't invest in me. And that's yeah. that's where I'm speaking from experience. If something would come in and I would just be, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I was working on a thing in my buddy Greg's house the other day. Like, how how are you supposed to know how this thing works if you only have foundational understanding of a traditional design and then a brand new design gets thrown at you which is nothing like the its predecessors what do you how am i supposed to know how this works let's go online now you know but that wasn't that even isn't even necessarily foolproof well among the shop owners that i talk to and i talk to a bunch of them pretty much all the time the number one thing is keeping the good mechanic Right. Because mm-hmm. without the good mechanic, you you're so limited in what you can do on a number of levels on, you know, even just bringing new bikes into the shop that need to be assembled uh, and then tuned. Um, and if you don't have that expertise and if you don't have that level of expertise, that is also efficient. Right. Because you have people who know how to do the things, but they can it takes them like, you know, five hours to build a bike when actually it needs to take two. So if you're not investing in that mechanic, like they all are like, it's so hard to find the the good person. Uh, And if that's the case, then the conclusion you draw is that that person should be the highest paid person in the store. Yeah, Uh, you need to find a way. I talked to a one shop owner in Florida who was basically saying to his uh, mechanics, you're going to get a cut of everything. So the more work you get through and the more. Uh, good work you get through, you're going to make more money. And he was really tying it to, and it was like a pretty exorbitant sum that he was willing to cut out for them, you know, to dedicate to them if they were signed up for it and doing it. And I think that's really a good way to look at it because if you look at your, your service rate, your hourly rate, uh, most of them are too low. Um, But also once the mechanic can look at that money coming in the door and tie their own uh, income to it, I think that's really the best way to keep keep someone in the house. Make sure that you're not overpaying them because they're actually getting paid by the work that they're doing, um, and uh, not and to not go out of business doing it. You know what yeah. I mean? So, well, you know, like it's all this is all well and good on paper. And we have our opinions and our perspectives, but having never yeah. run a shop, just a bucket. Yeah. Just, 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 a, <laughs> just bucket. a bucket. So, yeah. uh, we've covered question two, what makes a, a shop good and what, what makes one bad? Um, I, I think, I think we covered that pretty well. So let's pause and take a, a brief, uh, break to talk nice things about our sponsors. 
Oh. And we'll come right back. Yes, I like that idea. Oh, hey, it's story time with Steve. When I was eight or nine years old, my mom and dad bought me my first BMX bike. It was a JC Penny Free Spirit. And in time, I went on to put some nice accessories and components on it, like a tough neck stem and CW bars, which just made it sort of the embodiment of putting a nice frame on a shitty painting. One day I was hanging out at the local bike shop, which during the winter was a ski shop. It was a little tiny place run by this guy named Andy. And one day he gave me a 10 inch long die cut Shimano sticker. It was blue. I didn't really know what Shimano was or anything about it, but I put it on my top tube and immediately made the bike 150% cooler. It was around that time that I probably became a lifelong Shimano guy. All right, we're back. Uh, Just in time for this week's Would You Rather. And what uh, you want to read it? Yeah. What where are we at with time right now? We 45 minutes. We're getting it. We're done. We're we're there. We're winning. Uh, Would you rather? And I actually asked uh, Greg Heath from Donkalope Bikes this. We did it. We did that little ride yesterday because I had one day where I ate two fried chicken sandwiches and had three Bloody Marys in two different restaurants. And I woke up just so blown out on sodium the next day. I was like, I can't do, I can't eat anything but vegetables for the next, for the next month. So we were doing a little spin yesterday uh, to burn off some of the bad gases. And I began a conversation with, Hey Greg, would you rather? And then he began laughing immediately. Um, But would you rather uh, shit yourself once a year in public and there's not, it's not like you have any warning. You're just, you're standing at the uh, roulette table and, <laughs> right. you know, as you usually you shit, are <laughs> and you shit yourself. Uh, so shit yourself once a year in public or once a week in private. And is it once a week for the rest of your life or is it once a week for a year? Um, I'd say this is, this is the deal. I'd say this is just the deal going forward. So once a year. Or once for the rest a week of your life. Private. For the rest of your life. I mean, does that matter? What if it's, what if it's just a year? Does it matter? I, I'm very interested in how tweaking these things affects the outcome. I think it. I think it does. I mean, this is the this is the magic of a of a good would you rather is there's really no benefit either way. Like it sucks any way you slice it. Um, but I would have to go. I mean, if I'm going to shit myself once a week in private for the rest of my life, that's going to get super tiring. Yeah. But I would rather, I think I'd rather shit myself in private than, than in public. I've seen, I was actually in Vegas at the trade show and I was having breakfast and this old man walked by with his wife and he'd had, he'd had a blowout and I was, it was just so sad, you know, like. Yep. What happened in Vegas for that man <laughs> definitely Did didn't stay, stay there. Uh, <laughs> and so it was just, it was just, he, you know, you could just see like he was ashamed and his wife was, it was just sad. It was sad. There wasn't anything sort of humorless or hu- humorous about it. It, made, it just I, I went through heart. it with my dad before he passed. So I, I get that. I, I would say um, private so I can just deal with it. Yeah. Private for the rest of my life. That sucks. But that's 52 pants pants crappings yeah 52 pants crappings you're gonna have to deal with well at least you know kind of when it's happening but you know like it's not just like like it's been about a week yeah you or you look (laughs) down and you're like oh man but so you could at least be like all right well i'm off the shag carpet or you know like (laughs) you got three seconds to run and stand in the bathtub so i i i think if if i was soiling myself once a week, I would just stop going out. I think it would really have a negative impact on my life. Whereas if I was doing it once a year in public, first of all, uh, some of those times you might get lucky and just be on your own. Cause it's not like I'm moving in, in big crowds, right? Like you, you might just be, be on walking. your own, but you could, you could be on the city bus, you know, like you could, 
you could, I mean, you know, this is a great would you rather because the, they're both bad outcomes, but which one is worse? I'm going to go, if you're going, I'm going once a year in public. Mm. I think people expect that from me anyway. If, if I'm honest, like my friends are probably like, you don't already do that. <laughs> uh, and is this also, is this just like a little bullet or is this a full torpedo? Oh, you're getting into details. Uh, I think it runs the gamut. I think sometimes maybe you get away with, uh, you know, a discreet, little thing and then sometimes oof, well sometimes it's a real it's 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 more than one paper towel you know what i'm saying i suppose you know you could also add adult diapers into the equation you could so you could you're gonna you're gambling and being like well i'm going out or i'm gonna go it's i'm gonna go on a ride and i'm wearing bibs and i'm not wearing a diaper under my bibs because that I mean, bibs are a diaper. Kind of you know? a little bit. This is the advantage of being a cyclist. That <laughs> why this cycling podcast material is so. Uh, and so then sometimes, office. I mean, you might be on a date. And. Could be on like, a date. Well, I'm, I guess I'm going out in a diaper and I hope that we don't wind up at my place. <laughs> or if we do. I mean. They're into it. Or, I mean, maybe you discuss it over, you're on a date and you're at a dinner and you're like, hey, uh, before the dessert shows up, funny story, <laughs> something you should just know about me. I did a would you rather. Is it three, an icebreaker? I did Is a would you rather breaker? three years ago and I cursed myself to shitting myself in public <laughs> once a year. So tonight that's might right. be the night. I hope that's not a turn off. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just know that if it happens, it won't happen again for another year. Well, I'm going to pivot again, like I do. Like, I'm so committed to my answer, and then we really break it down. So I guess I'd go once a year and just diaper up. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going once a year in public, because I just don't want to deal with it that often. Yeah. I don't want to deal with it at all, but I definitely don't want to deal with it 52 times more than I have to. It would be rough. Yeah. Well, all right, we did it. <clears throat> we did it. Excellent. Uh, thanks for listening to Revolting. If you have any questions for us or topics you want us to pontif pontificate on, you can email me at stevel uh, at cyclingindependent.com. If you like this or any of the other fun stuff you find on the Cycling Independent, please share it with a friend. It is one of two ways we now have to keep this party going. Yeah. Thank you, thanks Shimano. To Shimano. Yeah, thanks to Shimano North America for uh, believe, <laughs> believing in the high quality of our content. Isn't that something, though? I mean, Shimano, really, is Shimano. I've been to Shimano America. I've been to Shimano Canada. Like, it is a super tight ship. And as you know, the stuff that they make is flawless. The I've met the engineers. I've met the designers. Not all of them, but a number of them. And they are, without exception, excruciatingly precise in the stuff that they do and the stuff that they produce. And I can't believe they want anything to do with this, <laughs> but I'm glad they do. God bless them. The God I don't believe in, I hope blesses them uh, eternally and always. So with that, uh, on behalf of revolting, I'm Steve. Oh,